Alright, we are back with another round of Biblical Manhood. I'm praying you guys are going well, uh, that you're having a blessed week, uh, digging into the Word, loving your wife, uh, pursuing a woman, I don't know. Pray God's blessing you because today we are talking about marriage. And especially marriage as it relates to the, the expectations and the design of men. Um, the, the culture that we live in despises marriage. There's a lot of even Christian uh, cliques, cults, or just strange ideologies that can grow in unhealthy uh, churches or Christian minds, um, which puts marriage on a subpar, uh, less than completely holy, second-rung, B-grade type of Christianity. This is not new. It goes all the way back to uh, beginning of uh, the Christian era. You know, we can look all the way back to like Tertullian. He had some strange views, but people believe that uh, and we read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, first couple of verses, people had an idea that there's real, true, holy Christianity where you don't get married, you don't have sex, uh, you know, you're separated from that. And then if you really can't be holy and good and godly and Christ-like, then you can get married and God gives some allowance for that. But rather what we see in scripture is that God loves marriage. God designed marriage. We're going to see uh, a whole bunch of facets from scripture today. But it is, um, yeah, there's a lot of misunderstandings around in the world. And, and maybe you're, you've never stepped in or been involved in any of those weird groups. It's just that you've sort of caught accidentally or you've had some ignorance about these things. And you sort of assume that as well, that it's second grade. Uh, or, or maybe through uh, uh, fatigue of trying to pursue a wife. Or maybe just out of fear of all that marriage is and raising children is and pursuing a woman will be like. Out of fear of that, you've you've passively stepped back and gone, maybe I just won't get married. Um, and for lots of reasons, we'll look at why that's not a manly approach to life and godliness today. Uh, and I said that our, our culture that we're in, it hates marriage. If they redefine it, if they redefine marriage to be whatever they want to call it, sure, they don't mind marriage. They don't mind their version, their view of marriage. But as God instituted it, which is an unchanging definition, binding for all people. People can disagree with it if they don't escape God's um, uh, design of marriage and definition of marriage. As long as God defines it, they hate it, which means they hate the true thing uh, that is called marriage as God defines it, um, because he defines reality. Uh, they don't like that there's such a strict definition. Uh, they don't like that it has a, a, a hierarchy of male and female. They don't like that it needs to be exclusive and, and faithful. That, that There's all sorts of things that, that the natural man rebels against God's design for marriage. And you might be tempted to say, no, 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 our, our culture is very pro-marriage. It loves marriage. In fact, it loves it so much, it wants to spread the definition of marriage so that everybody in all kinds and types of sexual relationships can join in marriage, i.e. Uh, gay so-called marriage. Well, again, that's not a, an example of the culture, the world, the sinful nation that we're in, loving marriage so much that it wants to give some to everybody. That's an act of hating God's definition of marriage, which is strictly male and female, one and one, for life. And, it, uh, and so it's d twisting, breaking, destroying that definition and then giving it something else. So, so no, our, our culture does um, push back against God's good uh, design of marriage, at least uh, uh, a loud um, and very vocal um, amount of people do in the West. 
um, although the, we, have, we have a strong heritage of the past when marriage was honoured, uh, the, the, uh, the culture thrived. Um, and it's very evident that uh, manhood and how it relates to marriage is under, you could say, under attack or just under decay at the moment in our culture. Because in Australia, uh, men are getting married less and less and later and later in their life. It's obviously not a hallmark of what all young men should be pointed towards, what true men are geared towards, what real men love. Marriage is often something that is just forced on them by their, you know, roommate that they're sleeping with, or is pushed on them by their girlfriend, you know, if they find, I'll keep, if you let me keep on sleeping with you, I'll get you a ring and do whatever, I don't care. Um, or it's something that's uh, uh, forced or pressured or just, maybe it's just sort of the cream on top of the cake. We've got all of the substance of our relationship and we'll just get married to sort of get the nice photos and add something to all of this. But uh, uh, it shows that there's not a, a fundamental understanding of marriage as God's design for men. Uh, in 1970, uh, uh, the, I've got it down here somewhere. Uh, in, in 1970, the average age for men to be married in Australia was 23. 23 was the average, age, which means 50% of people are getting married younger than 23. Uh, uh, and the mar uh, average age for the women was 21.3. Um, now, in 2019, the average age for gentlemen to be married in Australia is 30, almost 31 years old. That's, uh, that, that's ridiculous. That's way too old. That's uh, um, a, a, a result of an unbiblical mindset and thinking about marriage and how important it is uh, for men. So, uh, what, and what else we have in our, in our life, in our culture? Because we don't have marriage um, stepped into by men at a young age, uh, in their prime, we have cheap copies. It's not as if people don't get married and so they put off sexual relationships, cohabitation, fathering children, and all of that until later. Uh, no, they're, they're using cheap copies of the good and genuine marriage. So they're cohabitating. Over 80% of couples now in, in our culture of Australia uh, cohabitate before they get married. Um, uh, the, 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 the chances of being divorced if you've lived together before you're married skyrocket by like 50%. Um, so it, it's not a, a good trade that we've accepted in, in our culture and sort of grown in this um, uh, place that we love and pray for called Australia, but it is, um, it, it's unhealthy. They've transferred out of marriage, moved towards cohabitation and, and flings and casual relationships. And I think if men um, uh, were regenerated they come to Christ uh, 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 on a widespread level, we will see marriage restored to its, its great and godly uh, stance in society and in men's lives. And I think the church needs to just start uh, be, being real clear about these things. So, so we're going to spend a bit of time looking at what um, uh, uh, that God loves marriage and why God loves marriage for men. And so starting out, we see in uh, number one that God is marriage positive and sex positive. He is for marriage. He is for sex. He designed them. No one else created them. It didn't come across his desk and he stamped it with reluctant approval after a few days of mulling it over. God designed male and female as male and female so that they can get married. And he designed the bodies in such a complementary, perfect way so that there can be enjoyable sex uh, between each other. It's a good and godly thing. It's not unholy. It's not B-grade Christianity. It is not uh, second rate. 
God, we see in uh, chapter 2 of Genesis, officiated the first wedding. He was the father of the bride, as well as the uh, officiating priest or pastor over the first marriage. Adam went to sleep. God took the rib. He made Eve out of Adam. Uh, Adam woke up and God, like the father at a wedding, walked Eve to Adam in this beautiful sunset of a day in Eden. Perfect timing. Photographer was there. Uh, uh, and, and, and Eve was brought to him by God, uh, uh, being his, the picture of her father uh, in that instance. And uh, uh, God oversaw that marriage where they um, came together and then consummated it in sex to become one flesh. And then, then it says, therefore, here's the pattern of marriage going forwards. A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife and become one flesh. Uh, and so there's our pattern for marriage right from the beginning um, of scripture. Uh, God is marriage positive. God loves sex. It's all designed by him right from the very beginning. And he has tied marriage and sex to the mission of men. God has woven the mission that he gives men and sex and marriage together quite tightly. So that only in the rarest of exceptions is a man, oh, pardon me, is a man walking in his uh, mission and in his calling without being married and having sex with his wife. Uh, and, and so if you listen back to all the episodes we've done on uh, manhood, you'll, you could reasonably ask the question, geez, it feels like there's a lot about this that I'm not going to be able to walk in the fullness of until I get married. Um, it doesn't mean you're, you're not a man until you're married, but it means that, that manliness and manhood culminates um, in marriage and husbandry and fathering and grandfathering and building a legacy, leaving a legacy. That is, that is where it's all, all really driving to. Uh, and <clears throat> so Adam was told, you know, uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And reasonably, as we see work out in the storyline of Genesis 1 and 2, um, everyone comes to the conclusion that can't be done without a wife. And uh, and the husband and the wife might also look back on the commands and think, hmm, we need to be fruitful and multiply. We can't do that without sex. And so obedience to God required marriage, required companionship, required sex, uh, which is a uh, uh, not a rule that anybody is complaining about. That uh, That is one of those laws that we do not mind having more of. That's a good rule. Uh, so God is for marriage and sex. God is also... Uh, for the Great Commission. You might be wondering why we're jumping so many chapters and topics to land on the Great Commission now uh, when we're talking about marriage and sex. But if you think that way, you misunderstand both the Great Commission and marriage. Uh, God is for the Great Commission. The Great Commission that Jesus spoke over his disciples, all there that were gathered, the twelve, uh, the 11 apostles, plus the other uh, about 108 eight or nine people who were there with them as well, um, and maybe the, uh, even upward of 500, um, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus spoke to all of them saying, go therefore, since I have all authority given to me by my Father in my resurrection and ascension, I'm King, go therefore, disciple the nations, um, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm with you till the end of the age. So, so here's the commission to go, make disciples, spread the gospel, plant churches, 
um, and do that work through which God brings the kingdom. That is binding on every Christian, and it is the, the key and primary uh, prism by which we will be judged on Judgment Day. What did we do to do the work of the Great Commission? How do we use our blessings, our giftings, all of those things to win souls and do our work in bringing the kingdom? Well, <clears throat> the Great Commission has also been tied to uh, marriage and childbearing and rearing uh, through sex. Um, not that you can, they're not substantively the same thing. They're not exactly the same thing. They're not essentially the same thing, but they have the same goal in mind. Therefore, they work together. Um, greater effectiveness in the Great Commission is tied to getting married and raising disciples from the ground up, not just converting other people um, at an older age. And uh, marriage is for, uh, for each individual, the husband and the wife and the kids, to become better missionaries because they have a home to invite to, they have holiness in a marriage, they have outreach happening, they have whole, um, uh, uh, self-control between themselves because they're sexually satisfied. All of this is a way to um, uh, that God joins marriage and the Great Commission together. So don't see them as, as somewhat separated or um, tangential to each other. They're entirely different chapters of the systematic theology textbook. Marriage assists with the Great Commission. It is for the Great Commission to see souls saved. So marriage was not just an Eden thing, an Old Testament thing, which is now replaced by the gospel. No, uh, the gospel now picks up marriage, puts it in the... In the uh, uh, in the magazine and shoots it out as a weapon for the Great Commission. <clears throat> um, there are some who, who tie, uh, uh, who try and rebel against marriage or try and um, uh, uh, reject marriage. Um, we read this in 1 Timothy 4 that Paul says very clearly, part of the, the work of deceitful spirits and teachings of demons is that through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So, so God is saying that one of the uh, ways that the teachings of demons come into the church is when it says, no, you can't have red meat. No, you can't have food or drink that God has, um, uh, has given to us as a good gift. No, we're changing that. There's, there's things you can't eat and touch. And marriage you have to abstain from. No, that, that is an ungodly way of thinking. Marriage is good, godly, go and get it. <clears throat> and it's tied to the Great Commission. We also see that, uh, um, so God is for marriage, God is for the Great Commission, and therefore God is against singleness unless that singleness, especially and uniquely, promotes Great Commission engagement. <clears throat> So, singleness is only to be pursued or sought or um, allowed in, a, uh, in our own minds for our life if it advances the Great Commission more than marriage would in the same situation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 uh, verse 7 uh, says to us, and I'll, I'll just whack that open now. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7, this is Paul uh, describing and explaining his sort of um, position when he says, I would have that all of you were as I am, and he's speaking about being single, but he says, but there's a different gifting and calling on everybody's life. 
to Paul, he was not just single for the sake of being single. He was single so that he could go to the dangerous places and do the dangerous mission uh, of missionary work for the gospel. Um, if he did not have that gift and that calling, then he would have pursued marriage. Um, and so he's saying, I wish that a bunch of you were like me out on the mission field in the places and the situations where having a wife would just be dangerous, where having a family was impossible because you're so forward reaching, so uh, pressed forward to the goal of reaching souls at the ends of the earth that marriage becomes the, the, uh, something that you have to sacrifice. Well, uh, in that instance, Paul is showing us singleness is okay if it brings more Great Commission engagement than marriage would in that instance. And then he says again down in verse 26 of the same chapter um, that uh, there are some extraordinary and extenuating circumstances like uh, acute persecution, like uh, immediate danger or natural disaster or famine that would make Pursuing, marrying a gal, bringing her to your own home, either dangerous or unwise in the immediate future. Look for that after the present distress has has relieved. That's what Paul gets at in 1 Corinthians 7, 26. So God's for marriage, God's for the Great Commission, and he's for singleness only if singleness can bring greater Great Commission engagement than marriage. And otherwise, he is against singleness. Now, why is it? Let's look at some Bible to, to ask the question, why is it that God loves marriage so much? Um, it, it's his idea, his design, he made it, uh, which is probably good enough, but we see uh, clues and reasons in scripture as to why God is so um, magnifying of and, and commanding towards marriage for men. Firstly, marriage reflects the triune nature of God. Not because there's three people in every good and godly marriage. Let's say that from the outset. But because um, God said in, in Genesis chapter 1, he said, Let us, plural, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he says, let us make mankind in our own image. He says, in his image he created both male and female. So that male and female together in that unique uh, distinctions and relationship reflect not just the image of one person, but the, 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 the multi-person, three-person, triune God. So that male and female come together as one unit and reflect the triune unit, which is uh, multiple in person, single in being. There's some of that reflected in the male-female dynamic, especially marriage of a community of, of love. Secondly, though, we see in Ephesians 5, that Paul says this great long-held mystery of God that I can now uh, uh, bring out to for everybody to know in the Word of God is that God designed marriage as a precursor and a foreshadowing and a clue of the greater marriage which is between the Lamb and His Bride, Jesus and the Church. Marriage was created temporary in this world when this world ends and the next world begins, marriage will end. And the only marriage will, that we will have is between Jesus and the church, the, the body of believers. And so uh, the, marriage is for reflecting the, the, the gospel of Jesus, where he loved, leads, 
gives himself for, sacrifices for, feeds, protects his wife as head over the church. So God loves marriage for that reason. Every time, anywhere, all over the world gets married, people are seeing something, whether they know it or not, that reflects the mission of Jesus. Thirdly, uh, the reason God loves marriage so much and gives it to us is because it reflects, in particularly now I'm thinking of the, the union of sexual uh, relationship between a man and a wife, that act of sex and the ongoing um, enjoyment of each other physically in the way that that brings about a spiritual flesh union between people, that reflects the, the intimacy and unity and joy and pleasure of God himself. That he is a, a, a three persons in one being uh, community that is all love, all joy, and takes perfect holy pleasure in the goodness and holiness and power and authority of each other member. And, and so that joy that a, that a mother uh, and a father or a husband or wife having together, uh, uh, which begets more children, um, that is a picture of the life-giving, loving, beautiful, unified community of the Holy, Holy Trinity. Uh, furthermore, uh, God has given um, marriage to humankind to be a sphere for the raising of balanced children. Uh, this is where uh, a lot of the discussion around homosexual so-called marriage and other things and and the breakdown of marriage we need to be sure we have this in our minds is not just a religious opinion the breakdown of marriage will eventually and essentially and uh, um, necessarily lead to the breakdown of society because a male female mother father led home is the unit is the the machine the factory line that god has designed to create and forge mentally, emotionally balanced children who are nourished and taught and emotionally safe. When that breaks down and there's either a male and a male or a female and a female um, or a single parent or more than that or an incestuous relationship or, or anything like that, there is automatically a, an imprint of those errors and, a, and an effect that those lacking elements have on the children that will have generation to generation effects. It will cascade worse and worse until Jesus comes in to restore unity, order, and his design. <clears throat> so uh, the, the marriage is given to us for um, the, the rearing and the forging of not just balanced, safe children, but in the Christian world, uh, uh, covenantal, Christian, godly, spiritual children. Malachi 2.15 says this, as God is rebuking the people for their um, you know, willy-nilly divorces. He says, did, did he, referring to God, did he not make them one, the male and the female? Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. The reason divorce is so terrible, the reason fathers abandoning is so terrible, the reason adultery is so terrible, is because God made the male and the female one on their marriage day so that he can have godly offspring coming up out of that rich soil. Or he says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
so that the, the family unit, father to sons, is the and, and mothers to children as well, is the unit, the sphere that God has designed to produce godly disciples um, uh, for the next generation. <clears throat> uh, so, so it 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 uh, it uh, um, it rears and it forges godly children. Next, the reason God loves marriage and the reason God gave, gives marriage to us is because it curbs sexual sin. It curbs sexual sin. Uh, uh, male and female are created sexual. Man is particularly visual, um, driven, passionate um, about uh, uh, sexual pleasure in a way that when, when manhood is not done biblically, or, uh, it becomes terribly unsafe for women and, ma- uh, and young children um, and the outcasts and the unprotected people because men turn into savages and barbarians around the issue of sex. Uh, this just happens in pagan religions. This happens in godless societies. This happens in societies without government. This happens the world over. Wherever Christian men are not a good model, wherever manhood is not uh, rightly walked in, it's unsafe sexually for male for, for young children and women. Um, and so, but, but, but even among Christians... There is uh, the sexual drive that God has given to men and to women, um, and that can be that becomes a foothold for the devil or a perfect opportunity for ongoing secret sin or family destroying public sin, if it's not curbed. And and so one of the very practical ways that God uh, uh, encourages young men in Scripture is in First Corinthians uh, seven. When it says, uh, you know, Paul says, you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, But, Paul says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Because there is the temptations out there, it is good for men and women to get married. So maybe you just need to relieve a little bit of the guilt that you put on yourself if you're thinking, man, I have an intense desire for sex, I'm not married, maybe I'm filthy, um, or, or is this just an ungodly motivation to get married? No, it's not enough. It shouldn't be the only thing. There's not an ungodly uh, reason to be motivated to get yourself a wonderful woman. He says down in verse 9, It is better to marry than burn with passion. If you burn with passion now, you'll burn in hell later if uh, you do not repent. And so God gives a very uh, a practical step here. Get married and have all of the passion relieving sex that you want. Um, so there you go. It curbs sin. Again, uh, marriage also is given by God because it brings companionship and just the most practical of helps. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, often read at weddings, reads like this. He says in verse 9, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. This is just the most practical of ways. Somebody can watch the kids, you can go to work. Two people work on the same job. There's two brains to think through the budget. There's there's two brains to discipline the kids. There's two brains to plan for the future. It's always better if you have two people as one unit on the one mission. Uh, He says, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Obviously, this is metaphorical uh, because... Most men who can walk can also get up after they've fallen over. So, but 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 the principle is laid out. It's it's better to be in unity as two people than uh, two people be separated doing their own things. <clears throat> and he says even practically again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
and though a man is might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. So there's this beautiful woven uh, blessing of God into marriage, which is practical help. The, the, the most uh, um, uh, beneficial way to live is with a companion helping you on your mission as a man. <clears throat> and then we see that it's uh, marriage is given to the human race uh, and should be loved by the Christian church for the protection of women. The protection of women is, is uh, an overflow of good and godly marriages uh, in all society. Uh, we even read this in the book of Ruth. If you go and, and, and read that, you see that the, 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 the widow and the unmarried woman is in a state of danger, poverty, um, needing help and protection. And, and the cry of Ruth to Boaz is, spread your wings over me. Let me take uh, protection under you. Um, let your blessings overflow to me. And this is a biblical uh, pattern and storyline that women are well protected when men take responsibility for them, take them into their homes and love them as their wives, elevate them to um, uh, their standing and make them their glory. Uh, and where, you know, we can even look back at the sexual revolution and uh, the, the outbreak of um, feminism and where governments start subsidizing uh, single mothers and children out of wedlock. Um, as marriages go down and single mothers go up, domestic violence increases. Um, uh, uh, rape and sexual uh, immorality is rife. Um, women are not well protected. They're forced into the workplace to start making a wage um, because they don't have their husbands there for them anymore. Um, we have less uh, mothers walking out the design for their, the rearing of their children. It's terrible. So where marriage is done well, men, and so think cosmically now, think nationwide, multi-generational, you can do uh, uh, work towards the restoration of the world by getting married, showing good and great examples to your children. <clears throat> and also, uh, marriage is for the um, achieving of the Great Commission. Think When you get married, don't just think it's because I love her. Uh, don't just think it's because she's very pretty, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, wall man. Uh, it's more than that. It's if we come together, she will be able to be under my leadership, a better soul winner. I will be able to be with her help, a better soul winner. We want to see our marriage renowned to the glory of God and, and abound in bringing of other souls into the family of God through preaching the gospel. So let's have that focus. <clears throat> So what should we do? If we're young, uh, young men or aging men and you're, you're single or real young dudes and you're teenagers, how should you think about marriage? Number one, you should view singleness as no good, except for very um, extraordinary circumstances. Just in general, think of singleness as no good. Uh, God has called you to a greater fulfillment and a greater blessing. It doesn't mean you're in sin for being single necessarily. It just means... Consider it like God did. Look at an alone guy. Think of all the sins that you're privy to as a young, as a single person. Think of all of the, the loneliness that can come around and nod your head with God as he says, yep, that's no good. Let's get him a wife. Uh, secondly, then, you should expect, not because you have the gift of prophecy and can know the future, but just expect according to God's usual um, revelation and pattern, there is a woman out there for me somewhere. I will get married eventually, um, and therefore I'm going to pray in line with that. So expect um, a wife, pray for a wife um, very actively. This should be what, what single men are doing. Expect she'll come, 
pray that God will bring her to you and prepare you for that. Um, and then, uh, a bit more uh, actively, know what to look for. Know what to look for. Two legs, two arms, a woman's body, and a female name is not enough. Don't just bend down with the ring to her quite yet. There, there's, I've got three, three things that I'll say with a couple of subpoints. Um, uh, number one, she has to be a Christian. <laughs> number two, she has to be theologically similar. And number three, she needs to be missionally in agreement. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. Christian, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 says that if we marry, we must marry in the Lord. Marry a Christian, otherwise your whole mission is thrown off. She will not be able to be a helper fit for you um, in the mission God has given you. Secondly, uh, uh, theologically similar. She doesn't have to be the exact same on you on all points. That's not the problem. Uh, but if you want a marriage that is rack off, if you want a marriage that is uh, smooth and that is not butting heads at every single point, you should want a woman that is theologically similar. You're at least in the same room theologically. Uh, now, I would say if you're a hope reformed guy, um, then you're going to be looking along the lines of a gal who is a Calvinist, right, reformed, and a gal who is complementarian. If she's not those two things, there's going to be heaps of struggles going forwards in the relationship. Um, so that's what I mean by theologically similar. And then um, I would also say, I said missionally in agreement. Christian, theologically similar, and missionally in agreement. That means, what has God called you to? What are you passionate about? What do you, what do you look, think that the future holds for you? And is that somewhat in agreement? If you want to be a pastor and she wants to be a really well-to-do, huge income traveler, you probably need to ask whether she's willing to sacrifice that because a pastor won't be able to give that to her, to his woman. Um, you, uh, is she wanting to uh, go to the deepest, darkest corners of uh, Africa and be a missionary, whereas you feel called to and want to live your life as an engineer uh, serving the urban church? Uh, and so those callings are very different. Talk about the future. Are you missionally in agreement? Um, another big one here is talk about kids. Not on your first day. Don't get weird. But pretty soon, um, talk about kids. Does she want one kid in 10 years? That's it. I hate diapers. And do you want 10 kids starting within a year? I love a legacy and I want to fill this quiver with lots of arrows. Um, you need to talk about that so that there's not huge disagreement later. So there we go. Look for a gal who's Christian, theologically similar and, and teachable on those points and missionally in agreement. Um, but what I'm meaning here, all of those should be taken as, as a picture of soil. Look for good soil out of which you can cultivate the Proverbs 31 woman. Don't go out looking for a Proverbs 31 woman uh, 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 to shoot down and take home. This is not hunting. This is cultivating. You don't find a Proverbs 31 woman, you cultivate a Proverbs 31 woman from good soil. So look for good starting blocks for a marriage and then just be um, initiating that relationship, those conversations and approach them. Ask them on a date, hang out with them with friends, get to know them, tell them what you think about them, tell them that you'd love to think about uh, uh, dating more seriously, then getting engaged and then getting married. Let her know what you think about her, um, not in a creepy way. Uh, uh, Make it, make it uh, out of the open, open dialogue, uh, because this, you, you know what God has given for you as a man on mission to get married at some point in the future. And then 
if God does not bless your pursuit, um, if you're pursuing a wife and it's decades, it's decades and he does not bring about a wife. Firstly, you should ask, is he calling me to repent of something? So is there secret sin that you're just putting up with? Is there abusive tendencies that he will not put a woman underneath? Um, is there standards that are massively high and unbiblical and ungodly for a guy to have for a, for a future wife? You keep throwing away uh, uh, eligible bachelorettes. Um, is there something you need to repent of? But that's not always the case. Number two, is he calling you to death-defying missions that he doesn't want a woman brought along with? Consider that, pray about that, fast about that. If he has never given you a wife, will he give you a calling to go to the ends of the earth like Paul? Um, and thirdly, uh, is he calling you to singleness for purposes that he will not reveal to you until heaven? So you should keep on pursuing a wife, but if you die single, um, and that is a potential, a very rare potential, but a potential for some people. We, we can think of the great theologian John Stott, who's in this, in this category never found a wife that God would, would bless uh, uh, to, bring, to bring them together in marriage. He was single till he died. Um, uh, for reasons that we don't know, God will let us know in heaven, but we should not resign ourselves at any point and go, I'm not married yet, I'll start giving up on, on marriage, it's not for me. Again, unless there's that uh, extraordinary mission call on us. Um, and in the meantime, whether you're a young single teenager, a uh, young adult, a divorcee, a widower, wherever you're at, Hebrews 13 needs to uh, ring, ring true for us, which says, um, uh, which reiterates that we should hold the marriage bed and marriage in high esteem. Let me, let me read that for us. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. So singles and married, all hold marriage in honor. All of you protect the marriage bed. If you're single, you've got married people who you need to not pursue. You need to not flirt with. You need to be praying for. Hold marriage in esteem. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. There is a way to defile your future marriage bed with how you live now, with what you look at now, with what you do now. And God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And so, uh, men, we are called to holiness. We're called to esteeming marriage. And again, remember, if you will burn with passion and you're of marriable age, start pursuing a woman. Get a rein on your temptation and your sin. Kill that in your life. Walk in maturity with other blokes speaking into your life and pursue a woman to the glory of God. Marriage is good, godly, and a gift for all mankind. So, um... Uh, uh, be blessed. I'll see you over the weekend. Be trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, for the sustenance of your spiritual life, and the guidance of whatever you're going to do in the future. I'm praying for you guys, and I'll see you next time around.